Welcome to In Layman's Terms, a podcast dedicated to discipleship and putting scripture to use in our daily lives. I'm your host, Todd Seifert. I'm the Communications Director for the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church, comprised of approximately 1,000 churches in Kansas and Nebraska. As the title of this podcast suggests, I'm not ordained clergy, so what I share comes to you in layman's terms. I have more than 20 years of experience teaching the Bible to everyone from teens to 90-somethings, and I'm excited to share what Scripture has to say to us in today's society, and I love to tell stories of how people live their faith. Some episodes focus on a person or church doing great things to serve as the hands and feet of Christ. Some episodes include interviews with experts who can help us along our faith journey. And other episodes include some short reflections on Scripture. Thank you for joining me. This is the third in a series of special episodes of Seven Final Sayings of Christ from the Cross, followed by a celebration of Easter. Our special guest, as they are for all of these special episodes, is Bishop Reuben Sines, Jr., Episcopal Leader of the Great Plains Conference. Bishop, welcome back to In Layman's Terms. Good to be here, Todd. Bishop, before we reflect on this week's scripture, uh, so many different translations and kinds of Bibles are out there. How do you recommend that people read scripture, particularly during Lent? Well, first of all, I, I recommend that, that they use the Bible that, that they're most comfortable with, right? It can be a, a hard copy or a digital copy. Personally, I like to use a hard copy. Uh, <laughs> I have many Bibles and many, many translations, but uh, the the Bible I like to use is a, is a thin edition, um, New Revised Standard Version, and I can underline words and jot notes on the side and um, come back to it later on at different times of my life and, and see why I underline those words and passages. And so, yeah, it's also light enough for me to um, carry in my backpack when I travel. But there's something about, for me, about using a hard copy that gives me a personal connection with the Word of God mm-hmm. and, and with God Himself. So, um, yeah. I know I like to take a lot of notes. Um, and I'm getting to the point in life now where I've had the same Bible long enough that I'm coming back to passages I've read right. before and written notes before. Right. And it's kind of interesting to see how that change, how my perception now is different than what it was whenever I read it last time. So Exactly. Yeah. I'd also like to say that, you know, when I use... Well, and I really get into a, a Bible study. I don't just use one Bible. I, I right. pick up two or three or four different translations. Uh, and sometimes, you know, Bible Gateway is, is a good uh, tool for me because I can put up three, four, I think up to five translations side by side mm-hmm. and I can read them. So I can put the New Revised Standard Version. I can even put a New King, King James Version, a New International Version, a Common English Bible, a New Living Translation. Uh-huh. And then I also like to um, uh, insert some Spanish translation because reading the Bible in Spanish opens up a, a different possibility to some of the words because the, the Bible is is not was not written in English. Right. It was written in Hebrew, and then it was, it was written in Aramaic, uh, and then in Koine Greek, uh, and then it got translated into all kinds of languages. And so sometimes our English language does not really capture the, the nuances or the, or, the, or the breadth of the concepts mm-hmm. of, of, you know, that are expressed in Scripture. 
Right. I know for me, it's, so I start off with the Common English Bible. That's the yeah. one that I read the most. But I have an NRSV, Harper Collins Study Bible right. that I go to a lot. And I have an NIV Archaeology Bible. Ooh. That's really, it's yeah. really thick yeah. and it's really heavy. So, got it, that it, one so, too. so it rarely leaves the house. <laughs> Uh, but that one is the one that I go to when I want to try to figure out something about the culture in which the, and the time in which the, that particular passage was written. It's, it's really helpful, but I'm not toting that on an airplane or anything. It's no, it's and, big and heavy. And, and you know, when I really, really, really get into scripture, I like to use the interlinear text. So I'll go to the mm-hmm. Greek and the Hebrew, mm-hmm. and so those get me, you know, as 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 close as possible to the original meaning of of the word. For example. Like in the Bible, we in the Old Testament, a lot of a lot of uh, writers use the word Lord, or in English, right? The Lord right. this, the Lord right. that, the Lord God Almighty. But if you get at the Hebrew word, there's so many different names of God that are lost in the the use of the word the Lord. For example, there's the the name of Elohim, which means the Creator God, God Almighty. There's there's Elroy, the God who sees me. Like when Hagar was visited by God in the wilderness when she had Ishmael, and and Hagar said, "My Lord," she was saying, uh, "Elroy, the God who sees me in my pain and suffering, uh, El Shaddai, the God who reigns over all, Yahweh Rofi, the the God who healed like Hezekiah when he was healed, it was Yahweh Rofi that who healed him." Uh, Yahweh Yara, right? That the Lord will provide. Like when Abraham took Isaac to be sacrificed, it was it was Jehovah Jireh or Yahweh Yara. Because so, so many of the names in Hebrew are action verbs, really, they, and, and so there. What is the relation to God at that moment? Yeah, they describe the, the character and the nature of God, mm-hmm. and and because as as people experience the saving or the merciful acts of God, then 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 it it revealed a different dimension. Uh, of God's character, and so they had a specific name to talk about that attribute. And so much of it is lost when you read the Lord this, the Lord that, the Lord, you know, on and on and on, and you really don't know what attribute or what characteristic or quality uh, the the Bible is really talking about of, of God. And I, I think it, it uh, but nevertheless, even if we can't get at that, uh, Scripture is still Scripture, and God still speaks to us through it in a way that is transformative and, um, and, and continues to be a light unto our path. So we're, we're going to start uh, in today with our third saying from the cross. This week's scripture is from the Gospel of John in chapter 19. It's verses 26 and 27. Uh, the Roman soldiers present have just divvied up Jesus' clothing, basically his worldly possessions. Mm-hmm. And Christ spots his mother, his aunt, and Mary Magdalene. Uh, he also sees what scripture calls, quote, the disciple whom he loved, unquote. Yeah. We often associate that with the disciple John. Uh, Jesus says, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. Bishop, this seems like kind of an odd statement from a man who's near death hanging on a cross. Why does Jesus say these things, and what is the significance for us? Well, first of all, it, there's so, so there's there's a woman, and then there's John. right? And, and for me, uh, the first thing that it says is that, that these people have a lot of moral courage. Mm-hmm because they're standing right next to the cross and they're identifying with Jesus, which then puts them in danger right? as, as being associates of Jesus. Because most of the people scattered. Everybody's scattered, <laughs> but they're right there at, at, the, at the cross. Uh, their presence also demonstrates a tremendous devotion and, and a deep love that, that uh, is not going to be scared away. 
they're going to be with with their loved one. So it shows fidelity, love, and devotion to Jesus. Um, but I think most importantly, uh, the scene shows Jesus's love for his mother. I mean, you think about one of the most intimate relationships that a human being can have. It's it's the bond between a child and a mother. And uh, Jesus, in his dying moments, uh, commends her to a very worthy friend, John, and um, asks John to care for her, and, and she entrusts her to him. So it, it's, a, it's a very tender moment for uh, when we read that. It's yet another example of Jesus' uh, selflessness, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, he's taking, he's making sure that his mother, in these final moments of his life, is cared for, mm-hmm. which would have been the responsibility of, of the eldest son. Right. Uh, with the father, of, we're assuming J- Joseph has died by this right. point because he hasn't mentioned in Scripture for quite some time. Uh, so in Jewish culture, he, it was expected that Jesus would make sure that his mother was cared for because it would have been his responsibility. It's interesting that he that he doesn't turn to a sibling to take care of his mother. Right. He goes to this very trusted person that he spent the last three years of his life with. Yeah. Um, what can you tell us about that? The significance of John being the person that he that he turns over care to his mother. A um, couple things. First of all, J- John, like you say, you would you would we would think that a son would have entrusted his mother to his surviving siblings, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to some, somebody who's biologically related. But in, in this case, Jesus instead assigns um, John, his disciples, to care for his mother, and he directs Mary to accept John's care. So I see in this not only the love and concern a son has for the mother, but Jesus is also creating a new human family mm-hmm. at, uh, at the foot of the cross, a family that's not bound by blood, right, but that is bound by the Spirit and, and faith in him. So, Todd, I've oftentimes witnessed when, when I was a pastor and when I go visit churches that the bond between church members, long-time church members that are, that are, that are living in the same community that have attended church for, for years, decades, is oftentimes stronger than the bond that a church member would have with a biological relative or sibling. Because in the moment of need, the first person they call is not a brother or sister or a relative. The first person they call is is a, is a, their friend in in the church, and so that that bond is extremely powerful. And so, and and so the the relationship between John and Mary uh, is a foundation for the new humanity that Jesus is creating. It, it, it is a humanity uh, that is created by the blood of Christ. On the cross, as Ephesians says, the blood of Christ breaks down the walls of hostility and reconciles people groups, right? Uh, Gentile and Jew, black, red, white, yellow, brown, people of different languages, races and cultures. And and for me, that assignment of Mary to John and John to Mary is a sign of hope because, because, it, because it shows that... Um, that we can come together uh, in a way that transcends our own personal bloodlines, so to speak, through our faith in Jesus Christ. And, and he, he is the one that can help us rise above all of the things that separate us. He's, he's a unifier. So, so he's making a new thing. He's, he's creating that in the cross. And when I, when I see that, I, 
I think about uh, the, the power uh, and also the, the, the first signs of, of this new world that Christ has created. It does kind of set the stage for the, the time after Christ, exactly. uh, as I look at it, because this whole idea of here's John, who's not part of the biological family, but he's being adopted into the family. Yeah. Uh, in a lot of ways, that's what that's the way the church is supposed to be, right? That's what we see in Acts. Uh, we see how the church started off living that way. We've devi- deviated from that a little bit, except for these special relationships that you made mention of. Right. It seems like a long time ago, but we were my wife and I were part of a church started in Utah. There's no church within 300 miles, no United Methodist church within 300 miles of right. us in our own conference. And so those people were heavily bonded together. Uh, it really so I've experienced what you're talking about. It's it's part of that of separation. Other some of us were thousands of miles away from family, so that was our family. But and you're probably still connected to some of them even now. Some of them came to my daughter's wedding last summer in go. Colorado. Uh, they check in on my kids all the time to see how they're doing. So the yeah. promises of Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Those who follow me will in this life have a hundred mothers and fathers and brothers right. and sisters and houses. That's true. Uh-huh. Because it, our relationships extend far beyond our biological relationships. I always tell my kids, I said, if ever you're in a, in a town and you have an issue, look for the First United Methodist Church and give them a call because you have family there. There you go. Right? <laughs> well, let, let's just explore your, your background a little bit. So you, I mean, you've been a pastor for a long time, uh, served at the conference level, now you're a bishop. You've led congregations even though the, you, when you leave a congregation, you kind of have to split from that congregation, but you still have relationships with people uh, from throughout the years, right? I just got a call. A good friend of mine who, who was a church member at the, at the church I served at for 10 years, she passed away uh, a couple weeks ago, and uh, her name was Ruth. And Ruth, while, while, she, while I was there, she kind of found her voice through relationships with other other uh, women and other members of the church, and she became a leader, and she became a very valued uh, um, co-minister along with me. And she passed away, and, and her daughter called me, and she said, "I just need to talk to you about my mom." I said she she changed so much in, during during your time there at the church, and she always said that you know you were her pastor, and even though she moved to Austin, which is about 300 miles from where my hometown was. She always remembered the, the, her, her life and her ministry at El Buen Pastor and also the friends that she made. And so we had a great conversation about Ruth. And um, I think it, it helped, you know, give the daughter some, some closure as to, you know, how did my mom go from, from this shy individual to a woman of confidence and faith? And so, yeah, people call me all the time to go back and do weddings, you know, to let me know that a, a good friend passed away. And so we stay connected. Yeah, and there are too, too, too many to count. But each one of them is unique and individual. Yeah. And I, th- my, I think it's pretty safe to say that there are thousands, if not millions, of those types of stories across, between believers. Uh, and it started right here on the cross with, with Jesus sure. adopting someone into his family in a very vulnerable moment. And I think that... Sometimes when we become part of the, the family of Christ, we learn how to be in community in ways that we're not necessarily taught how to be in community mm-hmm. with apart from a faith community. So there, that's where we learn the one another's, bear one another's burdens, do unto one another, 
pray for one another, uh, care for one another, love one another. You know, th those are those are ethics, e ethical practices and, and ways of being that when they get shaped by the church in the right way, then when we go back into our communities and into our, our family systems, they they're transformed because we've been transformed and we see a different way of being in relationship. And so I, I really th I really think that the church is a is a hope for the world if we really try to appropriate and live out of the Christian ethics that Christ calls us to in Christian community. And um, sometimes the the world the, the church becomes a reflection of, of the brokenness of, of the world outside of it and it becomes a reflection of that as opposed to being transformed mm -hmm. uh, in in ways of relating so that the church then goes out and transform a broken society and so so how do we get get churches to first of all be aware of of the of the gift and grace of being part of a Christian community in such a way that it not, it not only helps us in our relationships within the body of Christ, but then helps us to be agents and ambassadors of relational healing outside of the church. Mm -hmm. That's going to do it for this episode in this series of the final sayings of Jesus from the cross. I want to thank Bishop Sines again for providing his knowledge and reflection. We'll be back next week with the fourth of Jesus' sayings, um, and I just want to invite you all to have a blessed week as you continue your Lenten journey. God's peace be with you. Terms is a podcast sponsored by the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church and by me, your host, Todd Seifer. If you liked what you heard in this episode, please go rate us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. It helps other people find us. And please, if you feel so inclined, share us on Facebook or other social media. Our music comes via a licensed subscription with FirstCom Music. You can find archive podcasts on my website, toddseifert.com, or via a link on the conference website, greatplainsumc.org slash podcasts. Feel free to email me any questions or suggestions to tcypher at greatplainsumc.org, and I'll do my best to respond as quickly as possible. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, please do what you can to help make more disciples of Jesus Christ. You can play a small part in helping change a life.